0: Music. music, music, horror, horror. horror. Subculture. subculture, and, and overall,
1: overall that bad acid. Acid. Welcome. welcome, welcome to Kettle, to Kettle Whistle, Whistle Radio. Radio. With your host, your host Dave, Dave, and, Dave and,
2: Sean. and Sean. Here we go, folks, friends, and fiends. We have a new one here, and uh, let me tell you, this movie blew me away. And I, I say that often, but this one is different. The apology. It's on Shutter right now. A very microcosmic Hitchcockian nightmare drama, if you will. You don't hear me say that too often because it doesn't happen too often. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I wouldn't have it any other way unless you said no. (laughs) Director, Alison (laughs) Star Locke. No, I'm blown away. And um, thank you. uh, Honestly, you got back to me real quick. Um, So, what did we miss prior to the apology? What were you doing prior to this? Oh,
3: sure. Um, yeah, because I'm 45, so this is my first feature at 45, so that is a story. Um, I went to film school at USC. I was a screenwriting major there, and then I made a bunch of short films, worked on friends films, that sort of thing, and I also worked as a story producer on reality shows, particularly a show on MTV called The Challenge, so that makes sense with my work, right? That's the same thing. Um so, <laughs> It was, uh, and and I was writing scripts all the time, and then um, I had my daughter, she's uh, almost 12, she'll be 12 next month, and uh, she, so I stayed home with her, and then found out that she's uh, autistic, and needed a lot of advocacy, and help, and that sort of thing, and so I stayed home to be there for her, and help her through that, and now that she is feeling a lot more comfortable, a lot happier, um, that that I felt like the combination of she's doing better and mommy's about to jump out the window if she doesn't start making movies again, now we have <laughs> me going back to work. And then I also got extremely, so once I started to kind of put myself out there again, I went and visited an old friend, Stacey Jorgensen, who's the producer on the film. And she, uh, she and I used to make short films together. And uh, so I just said, hey, I have the script. Can you just uh, read it and see if you know of anybody who would like to produce it? And she called me back. Like a day later, and said, "I want to produce it,
1: nice. and I want to
3: bring it to my company." And it was just kind of like a fairy tale situation. So, and it just kept being that way. And then it got really hard, but at the beginning, it was a lot easier.
2: Um, on the autistic um, uh, level, yes, I have that in my family. That is a uh, full time job for, well, it's two hundred percent of your life. Uh, yes, yes. yeah for you yeah. to accomplish anything while you know it's amazing that you were able to do this um uh, you. your daughter 12 you said
3: yeah, she's almost 12 next month we're planning the birthday party so my brain is already saying she's 12 but she's still
2: eleven. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice i'm gonna ask you what i ask all horror directors producers writers you name it what age or when will you let her watch your film
3: excellent question i know that one yet uh well she's a little bit of a sensitive 11 so i think not for a little bit um i am definitely i'm definitely like um i think most people who are horror fans and parents are pretty like let's let them watch it young because it's all a conversation anyway you know uh but for for her it's like i can i could show her some horror films but i think for this honestly i think she would mostly just be a little bored because it's just grown-ups it's a lot of it is grown-ups talking to each other and then they're yelling at each other and like scary stuff like that uh and so it'll probably be a a little while but she did come to set one day uh one of the days where Linus had uh Linus Roche, who plays our um Jack who plays our male lead he uh he had a lot of Blood makeup on, and uh, she was watching him get it applied. And it was funny because I think that's one of the only moments that's like quite registered a little bit, right?
2: That, yeah, she probably totally, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Because she, because she, and also just like what movies are, you know, she was just like, Oh, this is pretend. Oh, that's not real blood. Because she keeps, and then when she does watch a horror movie with me and there's bloody stuff, she goes, Oh, it's just pretend like Linus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how they associate, absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. So we should at least tell the audience here <laughs> what we're talking yes, about. What is this this microcosmic, like I said, Hitchcockian nightmare. You recreated the Hitchcock nightmare drama that I, I, I guess has been lacking for some time. You have to really dig deep to find it. You're on Shutter with this one, The Apology, um, starring Anna Gunn as Darlene Hagen. Janine Garofalo who doesn't love her Gretchen Sullivan and Linus Roche is it Roche or Roach? Uh
3: I believe it's Roche.
2: Roche. But he's
3: not picky about it that I've detected.
2: Jack so. <laughs> Kingsley. Uh yeah, well, anyway, the the performance from these people, I don't know if you provoked it or what, but man, the way I look at it, if this movie was remade, no one else can play these characters ever. Like, you nailed it. Thank you. Yes.
3: Thank you. Yes. Well, I I really appreciate that, and I sure appreciate calling it a Hitchcockian nightmare drama because it's been a weird – it's a weird film to describe – I mm-hmm. think, you know, some folks have been a little disappointed that it's not more hard horror, uh, that it's not more classic revenge tale, and, uh, and I feel like, you know what, I love those movies too, but those movies exist, and hey. so I wanted to, to do something a little bit different here, so thank I you. appreciate
2: that. No, no, we thank you for that. Um, it's a refreshing approach. A reproach, if you will. Um, it starts off, like, honestly, the establishing shots are, like, very important to me. I don't care whether it's The Shining or The Land That Time Forgot, which goes way back, um, you establish that feeling and it, it, it just it doesn't stop from there um, So do you want to explain to fans, friends and fiends how, or what's what's it about? I'd rather hear it from what you. Is this film? Yeah, yeah, without like, because um, it's full of spoilers if I say it.
3: <laughs> yes, it's a tricky thing. I mean, luckily the film's been out for you know a month or so now, so uh, you know hopefully some of these folks who've li- who are listening have have, have mm-hmm. seen it and can think about it that way. But for those of you who have not, the the apology is a Christmas set psychological thriller, and it's about Darlene who is. Uh, An older woman who has been searching for her missing daughter for 20 years to no avail and uh, she's really starting to hit some real despair uh, on Christmas Eve night. She gets a knock on the door in the middle of the night and there is her ex-brother-in-law and former flame, uh, Jack, who claims to have had an accident in the snow and comes in seeking shelter and they start to catch up and finally after a while he admits that uh, he did actually come there on purpose and he's here to tell her something important. And then they're sort of off to the races. Yeah.
2: Drops a bomb <laughs> to say the Drops least. Drops
3: a very big bomb. And it, it's very much like a chamber piece kind of um, uh, like I say, sort of psychological thriller dark drama. There are horror elements for sure. I oh, think yeah. that's why it blow it's it's on the horror tree, as mm-hmm. they say. You know, mm-hmm. it's one one of the branches. But I think it's like like we've said, it's not gonna be quite what you expect. Uh, and the folks who dig it dig that, you know, and some folks are like Wanting it to be a little bit something else, and that's fair,
2: but Mm-mm. not this one. No, I didn't want more. Um, uh, less is better in so many cases, and um, it's about suspense, folks. Imagination. Remember? Do you remember Imagination Kids? <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, the the premise itself strikes home for me uh, for many reasons. I, I'm a huge John Walsh fan. Um, I watch everything he does and um, I since I was like, well, 15 and um, I, it struck a nerve it struck a nerve and it was like so, the confrontation all that um, but, alright, before I get too deep um, how did you obtain Anna Gunn and Janine Garofalo?
3: Yes um uh yeah. Christmas came early. I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I had been working with these, um, I'll tell a million dumb Christmas jokes. I'm a big Christmas nerd. So the fact Man. that this, I got to set a story at Christmas was pretty fun, even though it is not a,
2: I should a, have a had horror. you, you should have been on my Christmas show about a month ago. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Next it's year. Actually,
3: it's those of you that are wishing it's still Christmas. There you go. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a small factor really. It's just more of a catalyst, but, um, yeah, so my producers and I were working together to figure out who to cast because we knew we needed somebody. I wanted somebody folks who were um, you know, just total vet experienced um, actors who are willing to go and play in this in my sort of dark sandbox. And uh, some one of the producers suggested Anna, and I was immediately like, my God, yes, like she's so incredible. I mean, who doesn't love her on Breaking Bad? apart from the sexist jerks, uh, you know, it's like, she's amazing in that show. I have always loved her. And I, and I liked the idea of, of somebody being, I was looking
2: for sort of our generations, Dolly Parton. Nice. somebody, (laughs) Somebody who has like all that warmth, but a lot of edge to her and a lot of like
3: humor. And like, you feel like she would be a real ride or die kind of buddy. And she is all of those things in real life. She is just an absolute, like, um, human treasure so it was so that's where that came from and and right away both of them uh both of them said yes like janine to the point where she hadn't finished the script she called me on a friday night really just said oh okay so allison this is janine garofalo (laughs) i was like oh my god and she goes, and of course I'm dying. And and she's like, okay, so here are the dates that I can't do. So if you have to rescind your offer, I completely understand. And I'm like, does this mean you're saying yes? Wow.
2: What a sweetheart. I was going to ask you. I, re- I was going to ask you how that phone call went. And boom, yeah. there it is.
3: She was right away just like and, and so supportive and practical. You know, she would say things like, talk. let's talk about the dates. Let's talk about this. And then she would also say things like, okay, we're about to climb Mount Everest. I don't know why anybody does this. I think you're all crazy, including myself. But here we go.
2: <laughs> Fantastic. She
3: was right, man. The whole process, I kept being like, all right,
2: Mount Everest, Janine, you're right. <laughs> it's exhausting. Um, I know I've, I, again, 270-some shows of uh, directors. I've talked to many, 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 and they don't see, like, the fruits of their labor for years sometimes. You got oh, yours yeah. pretty, cl- pretty quick, huh? Uh,
3: it, it was um we we started um we started proper prep we had been developing and stuff before that but we and casting and packaging and everything before that but um we started proper prep last january so it's now been a year so it was like in the same calendar year
1: still good it was very yeah it
3: was very wild and then with linus um the producers had worked with him on mandy And you know, of course, he just like gives the most incredible performance in Mandy. And and not only was he terrifying in it, but I saw a lot of humanity in the way that he, in especially in his reaction shots. There's some of these. There's this incredible close-up he gives when he's watching Mandy, Mandy's um, unfortunate demise, and uh, it was it was so compelling to me. And I and I was and I had been a fan for a long time, but I hadn't thought of him at first because he's uh, English. And the character is very Midwest. And so, Hmm. yeah, that's when that kind of happened. And he was also lovely. Like, immediately we got on a Zoom and just completely vibed,
2: and he got what we were doing, and it was great. Yeah. Well, listen, folks, I want to dig, if you will, the picture, okay? So I got this lovely woman in front of me, writer and director of The Apology, which is on Shudder. I always – got to reiterate. I hate radio radio shows that don't reiterate after 45 minutes in – who They're talking to where to find it, blah blah blah. <laughs> the apology on shutter. Um, yes. so again, this lovely lady is in front of me, she's wearing a Saturday Night Fever t shirt. Oh,
3: yes, a Friday Night Fever. And,
2: and, wait, and it's wait, a, it's a, am I wrong? Okay, I, I can't. It's, a,
3: it's no, it's a, it's a Fright Night Fever, so oh. it's like Saturday Night Live, but it's got Fright Night on it. And Fantastic, so it two of my favorite movies Fright Night, I love Saturday
2: Night Fever, and Fright Night. So you're cool, and you're so cool, night. Brewster. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, The New Up, one of my favorite bands in recent years. Emily, pitcher, thank you. a great laugh all right so Darlene Hagen Darlene Hagen played by um Anna Gunn um and her friend Gretchen are preparing for Christmas and there's a knock at the door um like how that knock at the door changes everything yeah and again I I don't want to like step on landmines here and give things away um but is it safe to say that there's no big revelation as to who the killer is
3: yeah, that's the thing. It's like some folks have been like, oh, I knew who it was right away. I was like, it was intended. Uh, yeah, there's three <laughs> people right in the you film. Gotta give a little, <laughs> you You got to give a little mystery in the trailer, of course. But it's like, It's no, not about is, that. It's about, It's not about that. It's about her process of discovery, her process of learning, and his process of of, of uh, slowly owning up to things, you know? And, and uh, that was something that Linus and I talked about a lot, was like the idea that... We wanted him to be sincere mm. but deeply unhealthy and misguided, but sincere.
2: <laughs> deeply unhealthy. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. That's so awesome. <laughs>
3: Let's not ignore like the truth of who he is, of course. But it's like for him but that's the thing, is like, you know, the old saying it's like nobody thinks they're the villain, you know? Oh, Everybody is, mm. is a fully complex human, so it's you always think you're the hero of your own story, and so does he, you know.
2: So um, that knock yeah. on the door. Um, yeah. it, it's uncomfortable from the onset. And there's a history between, um, we'll say, Jack, Darlene's brother-in-law, and yeah. Darlene. And she opens the door and lets him in. And, uh, well, <laughs> the movie starts. Yep. Um, yeah.
3: That now... actually came from the dream. The knock on the door and a man on the other side saying, I know what happened to your daughter. Oof. Uh was a dream that i had and so then i woke up and started writing about this relationship who are these people and yeah so that's so that was like one of those moments when we were shooting it and then when lana wolverton our incredible editor put it in the trailer in such a great way i was like oh every time i just got chills like i would cry because i would just be like oh this thing that came from my brain is here in front of my face it's pretty moving
2: so a dream you dreamt yeah how much of this did you dream, like the whole just thing? Pretty much,
3: no, no, no. Um, pretty much just that 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 um, that dynamic of someone coming and knocking on your door in the middle of the night. This man and saying, "I know what happened to your daughter," and it being Christmas time. All of that was in the dream, and everything else was all was all writing and.
2: Do you realize y- you so. might have a whole franchise with that idea right there? <laughs> <laughs> People knocking at the door. And yeah. Things going on. Yeah. All right. Not right, the stork. It's, right again, no. <laughs> it's not the stork this time. Um, <laughs> what but other terrible shit can happen to you if there's not... <laughs> I was so afraid to like actually address this film because I don't want to give spoilers, but really, it's not about the, the who, what, when. It's like the during. Um, yeah. Jack grooms and alludes to her naive behavior like the whole time and yeah. just playing her. And um, that's why I, I always say... Well, I, I always... I said that this movie deserves – it's essential you watch it twice. And then you really mm. see – you watch you watch the killer um, play.
3: Yes. Thank you. Because that's exactly – that was my intent. There would be certain things where I'd say, okay, this is a rewatch reward.
2: Yes. You know, like
3: this little moment is something where there's a little bit richer layer here.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, all right. So, Darlene, um, her miss- her daughter's been missing for 20 years and she says this thing I need to know that I did everything I can do Yeah. and then she lets in the one thing the one element she's missing and that's unreal like did you write that I I need to know I did everything I can do did you come up with that or is that something you found like from true crime
3: that's, that's actually something from me so as I was as I was working on it, you know, I, I think you 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 don't always start from a personal place when you're writing things, but for me, they always become deeply personal and something that I'm working through. And and it became sort of a bit of a metaphor, allegory kind of thing for um, my uh, experience trying to be there for my daughter, who's you know, as I said, she's autistic and has needed so much, mm-hmm. and this feeling of. Uh, and obviously, it's like completely different thing. My kid is safe. I know where my kid is. she's fine. She's just autistic. It's just the it's just the journey of like trying to figure, you know, see if I have done whatever I can to mm. set her up as well in life. And it really became kind of an obsessive point. For me and uh, and to the point of like almost unhealthiness where it was like I, I have to let in other parts of my life I can't just constantly worry about her and uh, try everything I can think of for her and uh, and so it became a little bit of a metaphor that way as I was working it and that's one of those lines that especially is is you know, is from that That feeling of like I just want to know That I did everything I could for her And that's still true Like I still feel that way But I've calmed down A bit <laughs> about it But uh, And I think part of that Is working through it By making this film And, and also You know Going back to work And uh, uh, Feeling like I know I know my voice again You know All of that kind of stuff That you know um, that, Like you say Doesn't tend to happen Very often When you mm-hmm. have a, a Kid with differing needs That becomes your whole life And um, Yeah so that's where that a lot of that came from and a lot of it did also come from like my research just learning about searching families and all of my respect for them but a lot of it was like feeling this like kind of connection with them mm-hmm. in the in the the detail of like that emotional need and also the boring stuff like there's a line in the basement where she's like you know and the website and the paperwork it's like right the paperwork that we both have to experience like it's so uh, it, it's it's not only like it's massive time suck and annoying, but it's also just like emotional every time you fill that stuff out. It's a new knife. Every time, it's a new yeah, knife every like, time. Ev- exactly. It's like, yet again, let's put the focus on what she can't do as opposed to, like now that's, the assessments are getting better, even just in the time since she was diagnosed, uh, in terms of like also talking about her her gifts. But it was like, yeah, those things are brutal. And brutal. So, I, and, I, and I thought, my God, if you're also doing this mundane knife stuff, but your kid's not with you, like what that would feel like, you know?
2: So yeah, so, so your your daughter had a huge impact on you writing this. Um,
3: oh, she has a huge impact on me in in so many ways. She's just a magical human being, and 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 the experience of parenting for her for for good and challenge has been, you know, it's in all my stuff now, like pretty much everything.
2: Come, yeah honestly I, I I wouldn't talk on it on this subject unless I came from it um but being in a family with autism um, yeah uh, they will surprise you and uh, wake you up to things or hit you with something that you didn't mm-hmm. see coming and you wouldn't yeah. come up with it yourself you know oh, yeah,
3: uh, very very um, you know it's that's the thing that's notorious about folks on the spectrum is that they look at things in a different way. And a lot of people have a very ableist look, of, look at it, like, let's just try to make them be able to look at things the way we look at them. And I always say, you know, well, I want you to live in the world, but I don't want you to, you know, necessarily conform to everything. I need you to be able to live in the world, but also like be your, you know, sparkly weird self. I mean, I, I try to go out and be my sparkly weird self. And just because I'm a neurotip doesn't mean that I get to do it and you don't, you know? So, yeah
2: sorry I had a call coming in there and I'm gonna murder somebody for doing that but yeah everything you said trust me I was paying attention um yeah it's a big part of my life uh big part um
0: Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer and emotional intelligence coach and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectricCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectricCast.
2: Yeah, I don't want to get too much into that right now because I am actually writing a book about that right now. But I um, oh, you are. Well, you yeah. have
3: to uh, share it with me when you're when you're ready to share
2: things. I definitely yeah. will. I'll send you a copy. But uh, yeah, I um, I write horror mostly, so I understand where you're coming from, and that's uh, I uh, I come from like the um H.P. Lovecraft, Poe generation, mm-hmm. Stephen King, and Rice, and yeah. that's when I when I watched your film, The Apology. Um, it was so refreshing to see the beginning during and the outcome. God bless you. Did you sneeze? I, I
3: coughed a bit. I just <laughs> got over COVID. So uh, yeah, that's I, what I you just, said. I have just a little bit of a cough. It's not as bad as I, I expected. It's like it keeps getting massively better every day. But right? Yeah, still there. <laughs> oh, no, I've done this
2: show for uh, three years on COVID. So <laughs> people in and out of COVID. It's yeah. like ridiculous anymore. Um, so, all right. Um, so the whole time, like... All right, what kids? What you want to watch when you watch this film? What you want to see is the play between who you already know is the killer and the victim or victims' parents um, interacting. It's something you don't see too often. She plays it out so well. Um,
3: let's see. Well, I think I was just one of those kids that always wrote. I always wrote, and then I had a really great um, English teacher in high school who's actually in the special thanks in the movie. His name's William Winston. He was my high school English teacher, and he also taught the uh, the literary magazine in nice. high school, Skyline High School in Oakland, California. And uh, shout out and <laughs> um, and he really was the first person that made me feel like I could take it seriously and then I uh, you know you need somebody as a writer to just validate you in literally freaking any way and, and the fact that he took me so seriously that it was so funny I hadn't spoken to him in a long long time and he called me up after I sent him the film and, uh, and said your name's in the credits like thank you for setting me up basically <laughs> like thank you for all of your all the things you taught me and it was so funny because he immediately was like I really enjoyed the film, and then started giving me notes, and it was so great because it was like I was right back in high school. Like, you know, this is a guy that like is never going to tell you just what you want to hear, and so you can always believe what he's saying. Boom. You know. Yes. Like, just a great teacher that way. Like, loving but and supportive, but also like part of the support is like I'm going to tell you the truth. Like, here's the things I didn't I bumped on, and here's the things that I really liked. Uh, but yeah so he was like a big influence on me for sure and then I went to film school at USC but it was like learn like I remember in high school writing my first script was just like this little short film and I just remember being like right this is all you do you just all you do but it's like the fact that you can just sit and just do it you don't need anybody else's permission you don't need to like, You you, and I I remember thinking like it's going to be bad to start. That's okay, you know. Like I'm just going to start going, and then here we go. And I didn't get fully into horror until I was after college. I was always a fan, but I wasn't that hardcore of a fan. I'm not one of those folks who, um, and I wish I had been, I I feel like I missed out on a lot of viewing opportunities, Uh, but I wasn't the kid that watched all the horror films in high school and junior high, it was later I had watched some, I liked I loved Romero, I loved Stephen King, my stepdad read Stephen King exhaustively, and so that was always around the house, so I read those stories really young Uh, I think I read um, Misery and Different Seasons and some other things when I was very young like 10 or something, really young. And so that stuff is always in my head. It wasn't like a forbidden, you know, like a thing I couldn't write. And then I went to USC and really started to find my voice, but I was more into writing dramas, like family dramas especially. Mm-hmm. And then as uh, as I got into horror later, I realized all of the – it just felt like a big free space to, to write whatever – about whatever hard, dark things or weird things that yes. your brain could – Conjure or whatever your obsessions are you can explore them. I feel like so much more freely Yeah, it's a clean genre, slate.
2: So. You're you're right horror. you like yeah. you can't it, it is a clean, it, What people you just said it what people miss about horror is like Horror could be what you just did or it could be you know stephen king's it, it It's such yeah. a broad spectrum And you could just put a little twinge and a knife in there and suddenly it's horror, you know? Suspense becomes this horror. Um, You're, again, I go back to Hitchcock with you. Um, Did you ever watch, like, old Hitchcock episodes? Yeah, I mean,
3: I thought of, I think when you're making something that has, like, suspense in that way, you always think about those, like, like, solid Hitchcock principles. I'm not a huge Hitchcock fan myself. Right,
2: neither am I, but you recognize it.
3: But I think, you know, I think, I had a proper like sort of film school education and a lot of that is okay we're gonna watch like a bunch of Hitchcock and we're gonna talk about the gun under the table and we're gonna talk about those sorts of like um things the weighted the weighted things that you can play with when you're looking at a especially at a thriller side of the spectrum of horror um Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely but and Kubrick too I mean I'm always like always thinking about the shining and i definitely
2: thought about the shining a lot i brought that one, up earlier. that's where... weird um I, again you're establishing shots you you created yes. that you well the environment and you do it more than a few times and it's so effective so effective i don't oh, know thanks. if they're drone shots don't even you don't have to say they are um they're it, it they, just they it, were of course they were we couldn't
3: uh, just you... <laughs> yeah we have
2: had to do I was but trying it, to give uh, you helicopter credits. <laughs> yes, no, I wish.
3: Uh, yeah, we can't afford that kind of stuff. Um, we we had a b- better budget than anything I've ever made by far, but it was not a helicopter budget. Yeah. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> oh, uh, by the
2: way, um, I love Easter eggs. Like, okay, Um, <laughs> Jack, like actually hands Darlene a mug that says "I love you, Mom." Mm -hmm. you
3: almost Uh, spit your water out just then (laughs) that that was it's so funny because um, i caught you that was like that was a weird yes you did uh that (laughs) was a weird um thing that involved because originally it was going to be a thing where she took it out of the cabinet and put it in front of him after he's like told her this terrible
1: thing oh i missed that we we,
3: but but that wasn't what happened because as we were as we were running the scene we were like this doesn't no, it was when I was rewriting it. It was before before that. But then I had, um, but then the prop master still had that mug. We had changed it like kind of too late, and so then I was like, "Fuck it, let's just yeah. it. let
2: it just be a nice. weird
3: thing that happened," you know, you know.
2: My wife picked up on that. She's like, "Did you see that mug?" This the second time around, I'm like, "What?" Okay, I just love I, your I, wife already oh no, you you guys could talk for hours about me and your husband. I'm sure, and our issues. By marrying you guys, <laughs> anyway. So, um, so the murderer. I bet he has to be married to me too. I'm no picnic. <laughs> yeah, we all sleep with one eye open. So, um, the murderer. All right, again, spoiler alert, folks. Uh, not really, though. You tell me if I need to edit this. Sure. Um, the murderer Jack admits to killing his niece, to Darlene which it would be Darlene's daughter because his niece resembled her mother, Darlene. Yeah. Yeah. Holy disturbing ever (laughs) (laughs) laughing. And then all hell breaks loose.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wanted it to be, um, a a bit of a, of a really like that. There's this interesting sort of, uh, very twisted dynamic uh romantic al- almost romantic it's not romantic because it's obviously it's violent and it's it's corrupted and there's so much wrong there but again that it was like in from his perspective mm. this this was the great love of his life to this degree you know that it was like that's what pro- it's like Ah, uh. but also it's like what you uh, you know the way that folks will um, rationalize even the most horrific things that they've done. Yes, was something that was very fascinating to me. For this, you,
2: you must know? you must watch a lot of true crime because yeah, criminals that have been put away for killing forty people will rationalize why. I'm not a bad mm-hmm. guy. I just did these things. You know, I just have a bad habit. Uh, yeah, I got a bad <laughs> got a bad habit. Um, <laughs> but the, the, like, there's some. Horrific positive reinforcement by Jack. The yeah. he he like reinforces, <sighs> tries to uh, justify what he did, and try yeah. to the mother of the person he killed. <laughs> these, yeah. these are things that, well, yeah, I'm not gonna say they don't they don't happen in true crime. And if you watch anything on uh, true crime on Paramount lately, these things happen. Not, yeah. but not the format that you put um
3: yes i did want it to be a bit of a dark fairy tale a bit operatic in that way that it's like this was never going to be an interaction that would ever have happened in real life like this is not gonna no way does any part of this so you know there's there's that the whole point of it was this that that this um obsessive crazy connection had to see it had to see itself through you know yes uh but yes absolutely but that I think there's a lot that's a lot of what motivated me was that there's so many of these kinds of cases you hear where it's like uh people and especially men i think there is a cultural entitlement there to be able to rationalize whatever your behavior is mm. and so i wanted to do it in a in the most sort of operatic extreme insane violation kind of way you did it so, yeah you,
2: yeah you, you did it
3: i'm not afraid of the dark but you
1: should be there are things That's well here, in the dark, dark. things. Best left unseen.
4: seen. With the initial smoke clear from the fall of tomorrow, the blood now flows even thicker with dwelling in the dark. Eleven stories, all bits of the same mysterious puzzle. Fitting together with horrific parallels to its predecessor, Dot fairly dark productions.com for more info on the author and his work. Hi, this is Annie Hardy, and you're listening to Kettle Whistle Radio.
2: Um, I mean, Jack justifying his position is, like, abominable. Yet he yeah. sees some congeniality in, like, talking about it with <laughs> the very person that would want to murder him for doing it. Um, yeah. And it's told, uh, again, the, the apology is told through very careful camera angles, which I appreciated. it. Uh, uh, okay. Who was your director of photography?
3: Uh, Jack Caswell, who is just uh, incredible. We had a great time working together, and mm. he is... Uh, he he has he has uh, shot some other features, but I think he's definitely going to be a big a big deal very soon. And I'm I'm grateful that I got to work with him when I could still afford to. And uh, he he is just he he is such a sweetheart, and so and so constantly inventive, and so uh, and really just helped me feel very supported in in what I wanted to do. And you know, it was a little it was a lot of emotional going back to work after all that time at home and then suddenly like everybody's asking you questions and want to do what you want to do and and uh and jack was always so so like kind of gentle and supportive and that it'd be like well but remember we talked about that shot i think we should still get it i think it's important to you so we're gonna still get it and he would just and he's so lovely with the crew and he's just a an incredibly inventive, kind person. He was also our colorist, as it turned out, because he mostly uh, or lot often works as a colorist. He just he just did the grade on Blood Relatives, if you haven't seen that one. That's a really fun one on yes. Shudder. Um, but yeah, so he was... We had so much fun shot listing together. I had shot listed originally, and then I got together with Jack, and I was like, you know, I kind of want to just throw those out and start again with you. And some of those... A lot of those shots that I had originally put in there were still you know became part of the shot list that jack and i worked on and are in the film but some of them were like "Eh, that doesn't really work anymore and we would just kind of riff together and had a great time
2: yeah i love it thank you um and darlene uh her quote hold me hostage in my own house to unburden yourself yeah um no one's ever gotten to say those words and uh, whether you're at work <laughs> or confronting your murderer, those <laughs> that's a strong line. And I forget yeah. his reaction, but Jack, uh, played by Linus Roche, he's amazing and convincing because he's trying to convince you that he's a nice guy the whole time, yeah. the whole time. He's
3: trying to convince himself,
2: too, I think. Yes, he's trying yes, to convince boom. Himself,
3: yes, know? yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, again, folks, this movie It's not about the revelation Nor is it like a whodunit It's about the conversation and actions Between the killer and the mother of the victim Something we've not seen If we have, well, I missed it <laughs> Yeah. Completely original And this is just an amazing film, The Apology And um, I can't thank you enough for coming on And I'm not done with you yet um, I'd like to hear Are you a comic book fan?
3: I am a comic book fan I'm not it's funny I live with a very big comic book oh. fan so I always feel I always feel a little little like I'm I'm a pretender when I say that I am a comic book fan because I know what level most comic book fans are at I, I'm, I'm a but I am a fan I, I'm a little bit more into like I like some horror comics I like more of this sort of um, like fun home blankets ghost world like a little more that what are the sort of eccentric personal relationship kind of comics? I'm a little less into the superheroes, even though I appreciate them.
2: No, I, I get it. It's just
3: not what I've read as much. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. And music. What kind of music do you listen to?
3: Oh, all kinds. Um, I have a really uh, eclectic thing. It's interesting, though, because, you know, I know this is this is a horror movies and music podcast. Oh, yeah. I was like... Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not in a band. I'm not musical in that way. But I do I will say though, I think um I had a really fascinating experience working through the music for this film because again, talk about sort of feeling like an imposter and sort of emotional going back to work after all that time. And and I felt very insecure about talking to musicians and to composers because I thought I don't speak this language. I felt like I was worried that it was like this other language, which is sort of now I realize is really silly because it's like there's always specific language to any any artist or any craftsman. There's always specific language that you learn more as you go. But really, what it became was like, no, just speak to them about what you want the feeling of the moment to be, what you want the audience to be taking from this, um, and and let them do their thing. And so that was that was the really rewarding experience. And so and ever since then, I feel like I've been more um, open to different kinds of things and and, and trusting my taste. And mm-hmm. that it's like sometimes I'll listen to stuff that most people consider like pop garbage, but it's like it's helping me write. And then sometimes it'll be like, oh, here's some incredible new. You know, person making something in their garage that is just really stunning. And so, yes. and everything in between. Um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. So, our composer is Yuel Lamour, who is a, a Parisian American composer. She lives in France. And she is just this like wildly creative, but also weirdly very calm. Like, she would just be like, I'd be like, okay, so here's what I was thinking. We do this and we do this. And she would be like, okay, okay, sounds good yeah okay and uh and then she would send back this this cue that was just like dazzling like she would just do these very inventive things and and uh we you know we would have some things where you'd have, you, typically when you're working on score you have you have several rounds of feedback right you sometimes it takes a while to find the voice of the to find the sound of the film right
1: absolutely it did not
3: it was very quick and then um and then we would have like something. I think a few cues we had two rounds on, but most we would have one or none she would just like get it done. And, and she was incredible. And then um, and then uh, Tim Perry from Ages and Ages. Uh, we knew that we I, I wanted a Christmas song. Originally it was going to be. Originally at the beginning it was going to be a lot lighter, and so I wanted I wanted Hippopotamus for Christmas at the beginning <laughs> of the film. And it was gonna be them singing it and that sort of thing, and it just didn't work. It just
2: it felt too silly, like in a in a in a, cr- a very crampus way. Yeah. Yes, like I wanted a little bit of that kind of vibe, and instead it
3: just didn't it didn't work. And so um, we switched. We put UL at the beginning, and then we were like, okay, what Christmas song do we end on? And um, and I believe it was Lana Wolverton, our editor, was like, well, I was I love this band, ages and ages, and we loved another song that they made but we couldn't afford it and so then we sit and she's like what if we did we were like going through these christmas songs what do we do which one do we pick and she was like well old lang syne just always makes me cry Mm. and and i thought well that would fit the end of this film and so we uh talked to jacob nathan our music supervisor uh, I'm kind of obsessed with giving shout-outs because I had an incredible group of collaborators on this film. So every time I do an interview, I'm like, how many more shout-outs can I give Aww. to these incredible, and then you forget.
2: You feel people? you feel bad when you forget. Yeah, yeah, like you're
3: like, who did I forget? Who haven't I mentioned yet? You know, and of course it was like a full, real crew, and so like a lot of people to mention. But it was like, uh, but Jacob was so great and patient and just like diligent and creative and he was like, Well, if you guys like Ages and Ages, what if I just ask him if he would be willing to do a cover of one of these songs that you like? And so we he did and, and Tim was and he was so great to talk to. And again, I felt sort of insecure how am I gonna give him notes, but I just kind of spoke from the heart and he riffed and we had uh and the big thing I said to him was like, I love your band, but I, I really love especially when you are collaborating with the with this female singer from a band called The Sea The Sea Mm -hmm. and she just has such an incredible haunting but grounded at the same time voice and so that's where all of that came from and it was such a great experience so you know now it's like I feel like I've and and I'm I was very passionate about having a female composer on the film because I really wanted um, there was something that felt like alchemy about I wanted a, a female perspective on the music so, Why yeah. not? Why not?
2: And there's so, not enough. There's not enough <laughs>
3: female composers out there by far that are getting chances. There's plenty that are creating.
2: Well, but, on on this on Kettle Whistle Radio, we definitely focus on a lot of female artists. Um, uh, the show was founded by me and a female. And uh, we, yeah, if you look back, 270 episodes, we got a lot of female artists, composers, too um Great. actresses yeah. directors um but musicians um very 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 important uh, to us uh it adds a whole new element to the game i grew up yeah. in the uh, well 70s 80s uh, i male the male perspective got old it got boring and it became redundant and that i was getting into this just now actually um when I put my glasses back on and I see what I wrote down, <laughs> you caught me. Yeah, uh, no. Like, oh, I know he needs. He I needs can't see a damn thing. Dude, I'm old. I can't see <laughs> no, anything. I'm old
3: enough that I'm doing the thing where I pull my glasses down to properly read
2: something. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I just, oh my goodness. You're know, like, hey, it makes
3: me look like the old broad of my dreams, so that's all
2: right. <laughs> and that would be who? <laughs>
3: I don't know i just like the idea of like as i get older like lean into my you know uh inner
2: broad <laughs> all right well listen folks friends and fiends she's a very attractive a lovely lady and i, I do dig her <laughs> attire we've already talked about that um <laughs> so here's the thing killers usually show up later at the scene of the crime but allison my friend you took this to a whole new level <laughs> <laughs> um were you inspired by the fact that like criminals show up at the scene of the crime to see what's happening or it was just like was he re-victimizing
3: that's an excellent question uh that's something that i kind of wrest- wrestled with a lot was how much of this is he sort of sickly enjoying
2: satiating uh, he's his he satiating- face
3: but you know I, I, I was talking to somebody really early on in the process of the of the film and 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 she was saying that that he needs her revenge
1: mm. and i oh. think there's something
3: to i think there's something a little more to that like he needs to see this through he needs to like um you know he says it uh, you know she says it twi- i think twice in the film uh, talks about unburdening yourself and I think that's a lot of what he wanted to do I think he he was like this is too much to live with and she and he did feel I think a sincere obligation to tell her hmm. but there is it's all twisted I mean oh, it's definitely oh. <laughs> twisted oh, yeah. so it's like it's like I think all of that is like in the twisted soup
2: my you friends know? if you listen to this we are not ruining this movie because it's all about the interaction between Anna Gunn and uh, Linus Roche Jack and um Anna, um, I have to ask you this, because if I don't ask you this, all right, so uh, Jack killed Sally. Are you a Nightmare Before Christmas fan? <laughs>
3: no, but that's a good poll. Um, it's actually because my daughter, when she was little, looked like Sally Brown from Peanuts. Oh,
2: wow, no way.
3: And, and so that's, and I used to sort of say, oh, she's my Sally. And so then, when I was looking for a name, I did not want to, uh, you know, use my actual child's name, <laughs> but because she was, because uh, that just seems like bad, you know, juju or something. I don't know. But so I was like, let's uh, let's use something else that's very meaningful. And so that's why. So all of the names are very meaningful. I, I, that's the way I am. Like every single thing in this has a lot of loaded whatever, even if it doesn't get registered. Uh, like Darlene was my mom's best friend when I was growing up. Uh, Kingsley is like a family name you know there's just a lot of that kind of stuff throughout Gretchen is actually after a friend, good dear friend of mine who died a few years ago from leukemia
2: sorry to um, hear that
3: oh thank you her name was Mariah Gretchen Robinson she was she was an amazing human and she wrote actually um, she wrote uh, an incredible web series called Last Scene that was about um, that was kind of a true crime inspired story as well so I always thought, oh man, she would have loved this. <laughs> she would have loved this uh, this experience of this this film. So I put her in the in the dedications at the end too, and named named this lady after her. So there's just there's a lot of that. Yeah, all the names mean a lot.
2: I have no yeah. doubt that she would be proud. I, I, we lost two people to leukemia in recent years. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's 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 weird that there's a resurgence of that as well. Um, yeah, it's a lot more common now than it was. I know we're going off the subject here yeah. um, but I do have a question from my wife, uh, D. Nice friend her, because she's going to love you um, she already <laughs> does she's, she, uh, like, I've never seen her pay attention to a film so closely that would be even considered a horror movie uh, she likes yeah. horror movies, but she's sick of my bullshit um, <laughs> to say the least um, how do you think this movie would be different if there was a male writer or director?
3: Mm, that's a fair question. Well, I think the thing is that we've kind of seen versions of this story mm-hmm. that were made by men yes. that I love. Like um, The Vanishing is one of my favorites.
2: So and good, it has so good. Of, a
3: lot of inspiration, a lot of like a lot of crossover type type topics. Mm-hmm. I think um, for me at least, it's like. You know you can always there's something within the female experience in that if there is a difference between the gender's experiences, that i think that women live with fear of violence in a in a in a, in a much more deep-seated way hmm. than the way that men describe their experience at least i know sh- I, I can't speak for that no but it's a different it seems, experience
2: you're right i
3: think we i think we always live with the experience of being around violence being around rape being around all these things and if we haven't experienced it ourselves like i'm the gretchen in that scenario in that i've borne witness to people talking about their experiences but i've not been you know violated in that way and so i think a lot of it is is kind of thinking about that and thinking about all of the ways that you know the way people talk about sort of microaggressions or uh uh kind of the 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 emotional labor of trying to make a man feel safe so that you can feel safe Mm. I think that that's the sort of stuff that I wanted to put in the film that I don't think I've seen as much I never want to say I've never seen you know there's so much glorious stuff out there but Mm -hmm. it's like uh that I feel like most revenge tales are much more about a tangible eye for an eye
2: Charles Bronson. (laughs) Charles Bronson.
3: You know, and I like a lot of those movies too. Like, obviously you don't make a revenge movie if you don't like revenge stories, but it's like, it wasn't, I was, I I felt like there was a, it was a little bit more, not to speak for all women. Someone would totally just chop his head off, but it's like, uh, I think that for, for my experience as a woman, it felt more, it felt a little more radical to be like, okay, but what, what would you really want and need? You would need to know everything. Mm -hmm. You would need to understand it. And so that's where I think a lot of the difference is. And I think it's also just like you get the little details of things too. Like I don't know that a man would have given her a purple couch. You know, like little stupid things like that that I think add up to be a little more authentic for – what it would be like being a woman who lives alone you know Darlene has been living alone for a long long time yes. you know those sorts of things that I think and that's why I think it's always so interesting to see sort of classic tales redone by somebody's particular experience right like all what we've been talking about more women making making films and making horror films and people of color talking about these kinds of classic stories but they're, from their very specific experience it's mm-hmm. always really rich and exciting Yes, you
2: know? and we get to hear that now. Where before you got, uh, you guys, women were stifled uh, from their point of view. Um, I grew up, I, I, again, I, I watch a lot of 80s horror. And going back now, even listening to 80s music, uh, it's like, wow, um, yeah, women didn't have a whole lot to say back then. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it, it was all opportunities. It was yeah, like, you exactly. know. girls in the movie have to show their tits. It's like, all right, this is redundant now. Um, And over and over and over again. And final girl, you know, how about interesting girl? You know, how about hero or heroine? Uh, We had that with Ripley, and that was the beginning of the end of all that bullshit. Uh, And boredom. Actually, if you, I, I, there's like a lot of good 80 slashers. Don't get me wrong. I was to say, like
3: I'm a big fan of like 80 slashers. I'm writing a slasher camp. right now. Like, yeah. So like I, I'm less into sleep away camp. I appreciate it, but, uh, I'm more like, um, I love, uh, I love Friday the 13th. That was my like, game yes. Yeah. And,
2: first
1: uh,
3: Nightmare one. of course. And scream and Absolutely. all that. Anything that has like kind of a sense of humor about it, but also is very like, um, I love the way Craven would respect the kills. Like it was like oh, every man. kill had a certain amount of grief to
2: it.
1: Yeah, and
3: I really. So he's very big deal to me. I mean, as a I think most horror fans.
2: I, mi- I I miss just... him. I do miss him. How yeah. do you feel about Carpenter and his rebooting of himself?
3: What do you mean, like becoming a composer full time?
2: Well, no, I I dig that part. But no, the Halloween uh, kills and Halloween ends and uh, rebooting his own films, kind of. Uh, I I like Rob Zombie, I'm a fan, Uh, but I look at that as a different genre, well, I mean, perspective. Um, But I I also adore the original Carpenter, and John Carpenter's The Thing might be my favorite horror movie of all time
3: i just i just threw a a halloween party that was the thing themed like my husband and i dressed as like two of the guys from the
2: thing no way macready
3: nerdy stuff yeah so john was macready because he's got a beard and he looks a lot like macready actually no way so we were like let's do that that's so funny
2: and then i was um childs (laughs) childs oh, I, I <laughs> you weren't that. childs were you <laughs> i wasn't
3: childs i was oh my gosh i feel bad that i can't remember his name I'm
2: uh, bennings orange, um, orange
3: Vest. yeah
2: bennings bennings yeah. He, i was bennings his his and... death in the book is a lot worse than what you see in that you ever read the book i did i, I forgot that though but yes i did read the book a long time ago yeah, yeah. it gets sucked I under the, the snow it's a like a shark attack anyway yeah. <laughs> we're straying here um all right so again um I appreciate you doing this um, This film is As far as I'm concerned uh, Breached some things In horror that haven't been touched uh, There are moments that you ha- we have Not seen before Especially between characters like Anna and Gretchen uh, They act like real people Would act in that moment Especially a certain scene On the stairs I'm not going to talk about But um, they. I mean I, Honestly Janine Garofalo makes the film the whole movie's really good. Don't get me wrong, kids. But Janine Garofalo in a gasp makes the film and you know the part I'm talking about. Yeah. That yeah. gasp. Like whoa. Like I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't elaborate on that and kill it. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. watch it. Just watch it, kids. Watch it.
3: I love, I love, love, love her in this. I was so proud of it. I, I think she's just. It's showing this, this really thoughtful, quiet side to her that. You know, comedians are not known for that, but they have the, the you know, I know I have a lot of friends who are stand ups and and there is like uh and Janine is like an insatiable stand, stand up. I think oh. she does stand up like seven days a week or something like that. She's just totally in love with it and and such a master. And and it, it's there's this like obviously there's that constant energy, that constant like flow of ideas, but she also has a real like observant um quiet to her that I was really proud to put on screen, you know?
2: Nice. Well, in closing, um, I would like to know, well, let's see here. If you had, uh, all right, uh, let's do uh, top three favorite horror movies and three favorite bands. I, I ask this of everybody. So. Yeah,
3: yeah, no, I love those kind of nerd questions. That's yeah. so fun. Um, top three horror, I think um, I would go The Shining, The Babadook. Nice. And then I struggle. Oh, which one do I pick? There's so many that you love, love, love. I'm going to go... I'm going to go The Haunting, the original, The Haunting.
2: Oh, original, Uh, black and white, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
3: um, It has one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen. It's so empathetic, and I'm so obsessed with Shirley Jackson, so anytime I can give a shout-out to her, I want to do that. I was on a show my buddy does called This Is Rad and I just talked about Shirley Jackson for like three hours on that
2: show. <laughs> I had no idea. Honestly, I don't... Okay, one of my things is I don't listen to previous interviews. I don't want to know anything about you that other than the film that we're talking about. And I learned this from a guy named John Russo, who co-wrote the original Night of the Living Dead. He's a close friend. Oh, sure. And re- yeah. oh, Return wow. of the Living Dead. He's on these airwaves quite a bit. Um, oh, and man. he, I, I, I constantly, like, I, well, I, I bother him, because we do shows together, and um, he, he, he's like, I don't watch other zombie films. I don't watch other people's horror, because I don't want to be influenced, and I, I don't want people to say that I copied it. Oh, um, interesting. Right? Um, I guess I don't know that I can say the same. You um you watch everything horror that you can get your hands oh, on? Yeah, I don't
3: do that. <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah. I'm like, no, I'm gonna watch it and if I'm working on something that's similar, I'm gonna watch it a whole bunch of times and then I just <laughs> I just try to be really cognizant of making sure that if there is something that I'm sort of obsessed with from that other film, that I'm doing something that's my own with it. But Boom. it's like it's more like it's it's all muse right it's all like stuff that gets you fascinated and so yeah I I, um and Night of the Living Dead I mean Jesus like we could go on forever as people have but um that one was always such a huge that was such a huge thing for me and continues to be I'm obsessed with horror that has to do with process Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of those steps in this film too, but a lot of the other things I write are a lot more about like, okay, what would you do in that situation? Where do you get your tools? How do you do the thing? How do you talk to people to get them to collaborate with you to keep safe? Like, um, it, it's it's and that film is just one of the preeminent examples of that. You know, I mean, such I think that's why it wasn't just the zombies; it was the it was the urgency of that yes. film. And uh, and I watched that actually in the theater in an overnight movie ma- horror movie marathon that my mother took me to in high school, and uh, that was very formulative. But yeah, so uh, oh
2: wait, so wait, your mom took you? Yeah, my grandmother. Yeah. Um, I watched it with her. My grandmother the first time. Night, night of the. Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Triffids
3: (laughs) nice well I look forward to showing that one to my daughter I think that I probably could relatively soon but right now her big sensitivity is is little girls in trouble so I don't think that movie would go over very well (laughs) at the moment
2: Eh, come see come (laughs) saw give it, it Give what it some time, my friend. Give it some there, time. That, that poor girl. Yeah. Yeah, but she I may come around and uh, make the next blockbuster. I'm just saying. Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> but, um, yeah, so top three bands. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to sound lame because, uh, yeah, um, Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> That's not terrible. the Bare Naked Ladies.
0: Uh, and
3: I love uh, uh, Indigo Girls. Not terrible. I love anything anything with a sense of humor anything with really great storytelling in it um i'm a little more drawn to than necessarily um some things that some other folks see again there's like this weird insecurity about it, even like what my musical tastes are it's totally mm. weird uh, um and not a band but a singer bonnie Raitt is one of my favorites i i i listened to her a lot through the making of this film
2: an amazing uh, woman
3: she said this thing um, that I heard in an interview while I was literally driving to set one day, and it was like, uh, I was so frustrated when I was young, Because I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was like, <laughs> I was so frustrated when I was young because my voice wasn't like old and husky yet i was i couldn't wait until my voice had like character to it basically and now she's like so now it's so great now i'm like older and i can sing these songs and i have all this character to my voice i was like what a blues kind of approach to to yourself you know and i thought oh that's so interesting because i was sort of feeling the same way like i like what i wrote when i was younger but i like what i'm writing now so much more because i think it has more um you know, um, experience and heartbreak in it, and more um, appreciation for the nuance of the human condition. You know what I mean? Yeah. You so. can't.
2: You can't write the blues till you live it. Yeah. Bottom line. And I
3: think horror, horror and blues have a lot of crossover in what yes. they what they try to you know express. So.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Monsters for metaphors. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. For um sure. I'm yeah. gonna plug some stuff right here, uh, folks. If you like your horror. And you like your artists that do it. Celebrationofspirits.com And if you like anything horror, go to Publishing.com, folks. You could actually find Dwelling in the Dark. I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah, it's mine. A um, bunch of short stories that all kind of go together. A bunch of different monsters and things. Uh, of course, Fairly Dark Productions for all your horror needs and all the episodes of Kettle Whistle Radio and this is when I ask my guests, go ahead, Allison, plug your stuff.
3: Yeah, so you can see The Apology currently on um, Shutter and AMC Plus and on VOD. So you can buy or rent it wherever you buy or rent such beautiful things. And uh, you can also hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AllisonStarLock. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear from folks. If you've seen the film and you have thoughts, uh, good or bad, I welcome all all input. If you want to nerd out about horror things, come, <laughs> come uh, at me on all those platforms. I look forward to it. It's been real fun to hear what people think, and it's been real fun to talk about our, our beloved genre together.
2: Absolutely. So, thanks for having me on. Oh, are you kidding me? You're my huckleberry. Um, do you have t shirts? Curious. That... No, I
3: I wish you know what's funny though I do have I literally possess a t-shirt that my friend made me oh, when nice. we were packaging the film to keep me going and it Aww. says the apology of film by Allison Starlock
2: that's a good Not friend that's a I have. that's a very good friend <laughs> That's but, a very uh, oh, good yes. friend. Oh uh, Zena Logan, who actually plays the reporter
3: in the film, she was a uh, she was the head of my um, writer's group for years and years, and just is like a total like you know lifts you up kind of friend. So you need yeah. that. So, you need that. So I it... wish we had t-shirts. I want t-shirts. I want like I want to see some uh, some goofy uh, stuff out there. So here's hoping.
2: Yeah, that, that your movie um, the poster itself is just a great idea for a t-shirt. I I'd buy it tomorrow. So. That's me. Oh, thank um, you. Listen, thank Allison. You. Thank you so much for doing this. You're lovely. Thank uh, you for your movie me. is brilliant. I cannot wait to see what you're doing next. And I guess thank I have you. to ask you, what are you doing next?
3: <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm literally I'm working on two things at the same time, and then figuring out what I'm going to go push out into the world. But I'm working on a haunted house thing and a uh, and a slasher. All right. So yeah. Yep.
2: Thank you so much for doing Kettle Whistle Radio. Folks, I'm at Fairly Dark on Twitter. I don't use it much. Let's see what Elon's going to do with that, if he's not <laughs> ruining things. Or just shoot him into space so we can use Twitter again. All right. I
3: know. I'm kind of on there, like, waiting it out, like, hoping
2: that something gets fixed. Because like, I liked it before that. <laughs> right? And Instagram. Uh, yeah, kettle.whistle.radio. Instagram yourself or the movie or both.
3: Um, just myself and, um, and then the hashtag is the. Uh, some people are using the apology and then some are the apology film so you can find uh, posts from both of those
2: okay well listen I look forward to doing this again on your next film and I cannot wait because honestly oh, well I, I, I actually feel for you because you really set the bar high um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do next Allison but before you go Allison I'd like you to meet Alicia Mitchell, the lead singer of Aeonic Impulse. That's Aonic Impulse, A-E-O-N-I-C, Impulse. And their version of Love Song. And we'll talk to you soon.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me
2: on. And thanks for listening.
1: I'm not be able to
2: Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric
4: Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena The Interview. Electric
1: Electric Access. Electric Ass.